This is the ZMAR Podcast. Elite Benefits of America helps small and mid-sized companies with their health insurance programs. And now, your host, Butch ZMAR. Today we're going to talk about old habits that die hard, uh, at least to start out with. And I'm going to lead into clearing up a story that's been in like past publications and finally put the word out because it's been just under 10 years and uh, I just want to make sure because it recently came up in another publication so I want to make sure my audience that's listening to the podcast knows the story the backstory behind it but let's talk about old habits that die hard so of course I get a magazine type thing from uh, the military it's called Navy Times there's a whole bunch of them there's Military Times Army Times it's all the same outfit they just basically recycle the articles between all the publications. But uh, in the recent article I was reading, it was talking about uh, things that veterans may carry for their entire life. Veterans carry a lot, um, not only from battle or um, just being in the military, but there's habits. And uh, I thought I'd talk about a few of them and uh, just give some feedback on it. I think some of my audience would like it, and then I'll lead into my story. And so... One of the things they mentioned in the article was the need to roll socks. Uh, I don't know any veteran that needs to roll socks, at least that I'm aware of. Um, but yes, we were taught to roll these socks to make more room in the drawer. And uh, I have not probably done that since boot camp. So that one I think is out. But the ability to sleep just about anywhere is definitely in. And so that's one thing um, my wife brings up all the time that uh, I could just sleep anywhere, anytime. And it could be morning, afternoon, evening. It doesn't really make a difference. And I'll just doze off. So that's definitely true. Um, they talked about a love-hate for acronyms. I would say mostly yes, um, because we use acronyms all the time, um, not only just in our lives, but but military has a very big background in using acronyms. Um, the problem in the military is it gets so overlap that some things have the same letters so it gets confusing and so that's where the love hate comes in but definitely true another one was issues with authority figures um this is one that my wife has said about me for a long long time but my response to that is my biggest issue is dumb people in a position of authority we can do a podcast on this alone but leadership is definitely a big thing but sometimes you get people in place that shouldn't be there. And that's where I have a problem um, because sometimes it's about their own agenda versus the team agenda. And I think that's an issue. Even if there is their own, they still need to get a buy-in and that's good leadership skills to do that. Uh, a lot of leaders don't do that. Um, so that's where conflict comes in. There was other things that for sure are not on the list. One is arriving 15 minutes early is still late. And so military veterans are usually on time or early. The The real world just can't show up on time. The wor real world also makes us soft because I certainly wasn't 15 minutes early for this podcast recording. But living uh, the life through my kids in sports, people don't show up on time anyways. And so it's just facts to life. So You'll notice some military veterans out there always showing up early. Early compared to most, they would consider it on time. Don't expect to show up at an event and anybody that was a veteran is probably already there in the parking lot or already in the building. So another thing that wasn't on the list that I think definitely should be is about doing things right and uh, doing it right the first time. There's a segment um, in the movie Apollo 13. Towards the beginning of the movie, Tom Hanks and uh, his crew are trying to uh, train for this moon landing 
and um, uh, they were missing the marks. And so he got mad and said, we're going to do this again and again until we get this right. And in the military, I mean, there's some lazy Navy or military personnel in general, but the one thing that's emphasized over and over again is you got to make it right. People die if you don't. And so bringing that to the real world, you got to make it right. And this goes for everything, even if you have to start all over. And so even with a lot of things such as um, being prepared and checking things and checklists, you got to make it right. The other thing is definitely um, life's uh, full of patterns. This is some people can't understand. Some people get it right from the uh, get-go. Everything has a place in order to be done. And so there's strategic things that need to take place in an order in order for things to comply. And it could be ADHD as well, but this is another one that drives Julie nuts. Everything happens like like one happens before two every time. It's not two, then one. It's always one, then two. And so it goes for things that are already in the works, like things in motion. It could be planning, checklists again, being prepared. And so even with my hockey boys, I make sure that they check their bag every time. And sometimes I'll ask them to double or triple check it because I'm not driving four hours or five hours and find out they're missing something. And they get annoyed by it, but hopefully it instills in them that uh, it happens. It has to happen in order in order to make sure things are executed. So having said that, there's also the outlier, uh, meaning that uh, we go against anything that's in order. And so like, for example, I'm not really traditional. And so anti-tradition, uh, one of the big things in the Navy and a tradition is when they're leaving the home port is a whole bunch of sailors dress up in their dress blues or whites and they go around the outside of the, the ship they're on. We had a carrier, so we're on the flight deck. I thought it was the most ridiculous thing in the world to move out of the harbor. Here, I'm excited to go out to sea. Let's get the work. Let's get our jobs uh, moving. And here, they want us to stop the world, get dressed up, and go on the flight deck. Um, not my way of tradition, but definitely make your own way, right? I mean, obviously, things come into play, and you have your own personality, so you bring that to the mix. So sometimes rules are just made to be broken uh, to a certain degree. And I would say only when you're really good at something is when you really could start moving down this road uh, into uncharted material or uncharted territory. We went against the grain um, ourselves in the middle of the ocean fixing planes. We had seven out of eight airplanes down um, because of a certain box that we were working on. And for sure, uh, we had to break the rules in order to try to figure out what else was wrong. It worked. Um, we did had other checks in place to make sure uh, safety was taken um, an account for, but definitely uh, we were outliers on the whole project uh, because we couldn't figure out another way to do it. In the benefits world, obviously with insurance in the workplace, the status quo broker is a, a competition, so doing things the same way definitely seems to be the pattern. And brokers and insurance agents actually teach the employers and their CFOs and HRs how to buy insurance. So you're repeating the same cycle over and over again. So being the outlier uh, definitely is the way to look at it because uh, it could be an opportunity to save money and get ahead. Hey gang, ever wonder what it's like to be a small business owner? It's confusing. Weird expenses coming out of nowhere. And when you throw in health insurance, forget it. Nobody understands how that works. If you own a business, big or small, it's one of the biggest expenses you have all year long. And yet, we all wait until open enrollment at the end of the year, and then we think to ourselves, next year, next year I'll get a jump on it. And then it's another year of paying way too much. 
If you're a business owner, big or small, HR representative that wants to impress the boss, give Butch Zemar of Elite Benefits of America a call. Save yourself or your boss thousands or even tens of thousands of dollars a year. Reach out to Butch right now, 708-535-3006, or shoot him an email, butch at elitebenefits.net. And be sure to check out the Zemar podcast. Don't wait till the last minute. Put Butch Zemar to work for you now. So many years ago, uh, I wouldn't say that long, but back in 2014, I was nominated as a National Broker of the Year. Um, usually every year, uh, there's nominations that get put in, and they select five for the nominees. I was one of the five in 2014. It becomes, a, you're, at, you're at the top level of a lot of people in the industry at that point, um, and I'm grateful to be there. I met a lot of people. There was, some of those relationships still continue to this day. And I met many more that were nominated and actually won um, the uh, nomination as Broker of the Year for the Benefits World. I mean, some of it, people look at it and say, ah, it's just a fancy award, which may be, but um, these are votes by peers in the industry. And um, it's not like we pay to win. Um, It's an election process. The only thing we pay for is the stuff afterwards. But it's definitely something. When I was nominated, which is really cool, they contacted me for the write-up. And so we had a couple different people. One actually interviewed me, asked me a bunch of questions so they could do uh, a write-up on it and some continuation. And then if I won, there was some, I already had some content. And then the other one was the photo shoot, which created some content, uh, but creativity based on personality and some other things based on what the, the interview process with the photographer. And that process was really cool, too, um, because my big background, the biggest thing that a lot of people know me for is scuba diving. And it's definitely a passion. The hockey world got in the way um, during my my kids growing up and being active. I don't know how we got into that instead of scuba diving, but it's just the, the way things go. Uh, but scuba was definitely a childhood thing that moved on to adulthood and I still enjoy today. It's just don't have a whole lot of time. I've done Caribbean diving, shipwreck diving, um, very minimum cavern. Uh, I would not call cave, did not do any cave diving, would like to at some point if I can get back into it. There's obviously some steps. I, I rub owls and have um, peers that have done some great shipwrecks and, and uh, what they call deep penetrations in the caves. Um, caves have an artistic look. Uh, so some people would say, why in the world would you go in a cave and you can't get up to the surface? Well, it's definitely uh, a certain niche. But so scuba was definitely the background I had. Did a lot of teaching, th- taught probably thousands of people throughout the years. There's even people that I meet with uh, in the business world and shake hands. They'll remind me that they were they were in my class and I just don't remember because there's been so many students and the years have passed. Um, so... It's a great world. The scuba is definitely niched. A lot of great people there. But so part of the photo shoot, the photographer is like, how do we get access to a pool? And so uh, it was a really cool experience. Um, We did some surface stuff. Uh, I actually dressed in an old suit and uh, business suit, that is. Um, And so we went scuba diving in a pool with my old suit, a business suit. Again, so just want to make that clear. Uh, I had a tie, um, I had a coat, uh, dress pants, and uh, we strapped on some scuba gear and we jumped in the pool. 
awesome experience. The photographer was great. Um, he actually never did anything like that. So it was definitely at least not specific to that. He did a lot of creative work in the past, but so it was a cool experience for uh, both of us. The uh, write-up for uh, the content for the publication was done by phone before Zoom was popular as it is now. So it was just, you know, regular phone call and she went through some questions. We had some follow-up phone calls. When things were getting down to it, they actually published um, the release. And so no proofreading. Uh, they didn't send me a copy. Uh, nothing uh, may just not be part of the protocol. I don't know if they, I doubt they changed it because, uh, and I'll get to that too. But so when they published the online version, there was a picture of me with a mask, scuba regulator in my mouth, and the suit on. And so the online publication had a little notation next to it said, ex Navy SEAL, uh, and then my name. But um, next to the picture, the article itself um, did not have anything related to it. Um, and so when, as soon as this was not, um, brought to my attention, I contacted the publisher and ordered them to remove it immediately uh, because I was never a Navy SEAL, and nor do I portray to be one. And so um, I ordered them to take it down. And so they changed it, but they also told me that the print publication has already been released and it's been printed and already been mailed. And so they can't change that. And the reason it came up recently is because somehow the publication put it back and maybe because it drives stories. I don't know. Um, and maybe we'll have to address that at another time. But um, so there's this notation um, inside of a publication. Uh, I have no idea how it happened. Um, when I called the content um, reporter or article journalist whatever um, I called her and I said can you please look in your notes or send me the notes that she took and and see where it says that I said I was an ex Navy SEAL and she said she didn't have it and so nobody knew how this actually showed up nobody nobody in the publication they have no idea it just showed up um, that morning actually the triggering point when I found out back in 2014 that it was there I got an email from someone that coincidentally was in the benefits world. Um, I think they were out of, out of Ohio. Emailed me asking me uh, about making such statements. And uh, I was definitely taken back by it. I, I couldn't figure out what they were talking about. I had the, um, they provided the link, which gave me direct access to where they got it from. So I gave my reply in great detail on what happened and what was said and and I, I contacted the publisher and um, all kinds of stuff. So um, I gave great detail, never heard back actually right away. But no, again, nobody at the publication knew anything about it. They have no idea how it got there. Of course they don't, right? So they claim they removed it online and recently it's back up. And that's one reason why I want to make a podcast to clear, clear the air that I was never a Navy SEAL, never um, said I was, never will. Um, I respect those guys uh, um, that go out there and get through buds and and um, earn the trident. I did not earn the trident. I, I don't make that re representation whatsoever. But today, the it's still on there, and um, I'm not going to provide a link in the podcast unless you guys can go find it yourself. I'm not advertising it. Uh, I appreciate that I was nominated for the 2014 Broker of the Year, but it's still out there. You could find it. So um, I still have the original copy of the publication um, in my office. And I also have a wall plaque that uh, has the publication um, on and it's on there, but there's nothing I could do about it because uh, it was already imprinted at that point. 
that day definitely was an earmark of um, scrutiny um, from the special forces community. Um, now, I don't know how far it actually really went um, in the big picture, but uh, the heat that came from um, the outlets of the special forces community was um, definitely um, pretty big, if you ask me. Uh, I had threats of lawsuits and other threats. Um, so I even try, uh, created accounts to get in there, even though I probably shouldn't. And I tried to put my two cents in there. Uh, and I tell you, people just tore me apart. Um, saying, you know, I told them that I wasn't had an, I didn't wasn't presented with an opportunity to proofread the publication. They're saying I was lying. The list goes on. Um, I did actually contact an attorney um, to try to figure out what to do. Coincidentally, he was a and again, I'm not trying to quote or portray anything, but I do believe he was an infantry army, uh, some famous platoon during Vietnam War. Uh, I just know it was famous. I just don't know what the number was. Um, coincidentally, you know, so he understood a little bit about it. Special Forces, if um, he, di he didn't, obviously he was working with a lot of them. And then um, he was an attorney. He actually recommended just staying low and don't worry about it. In fact, I didn't even write an article about it, didn't do a video. He just said, just stay put. And I would say in 30 days, the everything just disappeared. Uh, not online, you could still find it, but I'm just saying the scrutiny and the threats um, died off within 20 to 30 days. But I definitely saw, um, looked at counsel and see if I should go back uh, after the publication. I did not. Uh, I still don't think I'm going to go after them um, because they, they're an advocate for our industry. But I've already said my piece. I'm saying it again just one more time, just saying I did not put um, publications or any wording out there that said that I was any type of special forces and specifically a Navy SEAL. When it, when it actually occurred, I actually called one of my um, special forces friends and asked them, have I ever given them the impression that um, I was part of a special forces or a teams or anything. His immediate response was never, where's this coming from? And so then I gave him the whole backstory, but, um, obviously there's, uh, I, I have a great respect for the special forces and what they do. I would never represent, um, them in, in any part except for me doing my part in the whole chain of the military throughout the entire world. Everybody has a part from the paperwork pushers to the maintenance of aircraft or maintenance of uh, military equipment to the special forces, fire pilots, pilots in general. Um, there's a lot that goes involved, um, but I would never um, portray as a uh, special forces team. The reality is obviously I scuba dive, uh, never for the Navy. Never. The closest I ever got was I did get an invite to assist with lifting the turret from the USS Monitor. It was a project done by NOAA. I was unable to do it because I was technically underqualified at the time. Now, since then, I hold the certifications now. I still wouldn't do it today. Uh, but when I was in my prime of scuba diving and got the certifications, actually, that was the big push to finish that certification. Um, but the project was already done by the time I was done with the certification, but, um, just, it was an honor to even be, um, in, on the invite list, but, uh, just wasn't, um, wasn't there. And we would have been just support. The Navy divers were taking care of all of it, but it still would have been a great experience. Now I've done some, um, really tough shipwrecks in cold and dark and, um, uh, current water. Um, and so I've done a lot of some people would say crazy stuff, but you know, deeper than 200 feet deep shipwrecks, U-boats, um, 
uh, in currents, uh, getting pushed off wrecks, running out of air, blown hoses, uh, leaky mass that won't stop and you can't see. I mean, all, I, I could go through, we could do a whole podcast just on all the things that ever occurred underwater. Um, but nothing will ever compare to the training that these special forces uh, go through. Um, and in this case, we're talking about the Navy SEAL uh, trident that I've never worn. And so, so some people tie things together in their own minds. And, and it's unfortunate, but they do. So I was in the Navy and I'm a diver, but that doesn't mean that I was a Navy diver. So I need that to be clear. Um, I wish I did. I had interest. You know, I even had interest in being a Navy SEAL. I read the books, right? And so it's not like, I mean, anybody could do that. Um, and so, again, I, I never did scuba diving or been on any special forces team. In fact, um, I probably did more complaining about them when they cut in front of the chow line because they can. Who knows if they were actually on a mission, but uh, we did try to uh, bribe um, some of the people online to go up them and uh, challenge them if they're actually going on a mission or not. But some of these guys were, they, they would crush our heads and their biceps. And so nobody was willing to do it, even with some bribery. But when I was in the Navy, and we talked about this on other podcasts, I was in the aviation world. I was an aviation technician. At least back in the time that I was there, there was an immediate level and an organizational level. Immediate level was inside the boxes, and I'm summarizing. Organization level was the squadrons, the people on the flight decks um, that worked with the flight crew and got the planes up in the air. Some of this, I do believe, has changed. I was in a category that was called Sea Operational Detachment, or some called it Sea Opdat. And um, we were classified as the experts um, working and troubleshooting and fixing aircrafts on the individual items that came out of the aircraft. Uh, believe it or not, um, uh, in the interest of a Top Gun just coming, Top Gun Maverick just being released here in 2022, um, inside the cockpit and throughout the airplane, there um, nothing is really combined as one unit per se um, they're all linked together and so they're like a bunch of boxes so if you look at an old school entertainment center where you had your vcr dvd player maybe a blu-ray and you had your nintendo systems and tvs or whatever so they're all units right and so these are units inside uh, an airplane and so they would pull these units out we would troubleshoot them and send them back we were specialize in a certain degree of working on specific boxes in certain centers. Um, the, the cool thing about us is when we were not deployed is that we were in one big, huge work center and worked on almost everything that came in. When we went out to sea, then it was more shop specific and you could be transferred shops depending on your skill set or what help was needed. But we were classified as the experts you know, because we got tons of gear coming in and out and um, fixing things and getting airplanes back up in the air and make sure supply has what they need. Uh, technically, um, we were deployable within 24 hours, obviously similar to SEAL teams, but we would not represent them. Um, and so uh, we were in the aviation world. We were aviation maintenance. And the reason that the 24-hour thing came in the play is because after 9-11, uh, we returned from, uh, actually, so before 9-11 actually occurred, we just returned from deployment. And so the most mission-ready crew is the one that just returned from um, deployment. And so we had to pack our sea bags and show up, and I forget if it was 3 a.m. or 5 a.m. It was early in the morning, our sea bags standing against the wall, waiting for orders to go back out to sea. And 
So after about four days, there was a chief that got involved and said, you know what, this is ridiculous. We'll call you if we need you. Um, I don't want you guys coming in every morning and then uh, wasting days of production of your expertise. Um, So just go back to, they want us on day crew. So we end up working a day crew in case some orders came down the pipe. But they never needed us. Um, we, I was on the Harry Truman, and they were they came back from the maiden voyage. I believe it was the Washington that went out to sea, and I worked with um, almost all the technicians, not all of them, because some came from the West Coast. I was on the East Coast. Um, uh, so the East Coast ones I worked with, they were a- excellent people. They never had the impression that they were going to be under undermanned or underskilled. So, uh, we just never went. Um, and so, uh, that was, um, the last deployment I actually made, uh, um, that was longer than two weeks. We did still do other deployments that were less than two weeks. Um, one time they actually sent me over from the East coast to the West coast for a 10 day. And I w- I'm glad I had that experience. That was the only time I was on the West coast. Um, so it was definitely a great experience. So, for the record, I want to make it clear that I was never a Navy SEAL, never will be, and never claimed to be. Uh, obviously, I mentioned that there was probably some childhood hidden desire to be one or a, uh, or a Navy diver since that's what I was growing up with scuba. Uh, I read the books and the articles. I'm a huge fan of Jocko Willick. Uh, his podcast can be a little bit long at times, but the interviews he has with military veterans and and talk about things that occur uh, in a military way, I think is fantastic. And he's got a, um, a, a knack for it. Uh, but this, this doesn't mean that I portray or want to be, or, uh, to say that I'm any special forces, um, community, um, including the Navy SEALs. So I just wanted to make sure that's clear. Uh, I know I've said it many times when I do, um, speaking events, uh, for either businesses or, um, or specific to employees, I'll bring this topic up as a uh, soft way to enter, um, in case they Google search me or something, but, but it also brings something to laughter and camaraderie, but I just, I just want to make a publication this time to actually just make sure it's clear uh obviously if anybody has questions they can reach out and uh, we could uh, attack those questions as fit so uh thanks again